throughout all of 2018, there's probably one phrase that you heard more than any other. Hey fam, welcome to a new episode of LM2 Talks. As always, I'm your host, Larry. I feel like I always start out these podcasts apologizing to you all. Um, I don't know who I'm really apologizing to because for most of you, you probably don't even realize that you've been waiting two weeks or three weeks or whatever it's been. Um, but I was really hoping to get this episode out a lot earlier. Obviously, this week, as you can tell from that intro, we are talking about Black Panther. Uh probably the biggest film, at least in the United States, uh, of 2018. And, you know, at the time of recording this, we have just passed the one year anniversary of the release of the film. And I thought that it was a really great time to talk about it since I've never actually written a review for the film outside of a Facebook post. I've never, you know, I've talked about the film a little bit on the podcast, but I've never dedicated an entire episode to it. And really what I wanted to do was to share my thoughts on the film in general, talk about the cultural impact of the film and just kind of generally, you know, how I kind of see this film and, and, you know, in a lot of ways, what it means to me um, and what it means to a lot of people that I know, um, including, you know, members of my own family, members of, you know, the black community, members of the the African community, just so many different people that were affected by this film. You know, something that realistically a lot of people had never seen before, you know, and we're going to get into a conversation that's really about something that comes up almost every time I record an episode of this podcast, which is representation and why it is so important. But before I really dive into that, I, I want to kind of give a little bit of the lead up for, you know, where I was coming to this film from. So, um, a while back, it was June 2017, uh, around the time of my father's birthday, uh, in remembrance of his life, I kind of wanted to write a self-reflection about growing up as a black nerd, and it just so happened to be around that time when we got the first trailer for the Black Panther. And so we had been introduced to T'Challa in Captain America's Civil War, and he was this electrifying presence. It was a great character to add on. He had this intensity, this badassness to be able to see, you know, this black character who, you know, really kind of stole every scene that he was in and just kind of brought so much life and energy to that film. Um, you know, and, and I think for a lot of people that watch Captain America Civil War, like, yes, it was it was great. You know, we had Spider-Man coming in and, you know, we, we got Giant Man and, you know, we had Avengers fighting Avengers and there was so much exciting stuff. But for so many of us, um, you know, and I know this is a bit of a generalization, but I, I don't feel like it's that much of a stretch. There were so many of us that were more excited for the Black Panther than just about anything else in that film. And so when we knew that he was getting a solo film and we could finally see, um, you know, some the trailer of what that was going to be. And we knew that that Ryan Coogler from, you know, the guy who who brought us Fruitvale Station, which is an amazing film about the the murder of, of Oscar Grant in Oakland and, you know, the guy who brought us Creed, the reclamation of the Rocky series, which had always been kind of this great white hope movie and and kind of giving it back to black people, um, you know, who were who were really some of the biggest fans of boxing to to, to see that this was the guy who was going to bring this to us. There's just so much excitement around it. And so when I saw that first trailer, I was kind of overcome and, and really just wanted to talk about that journey of of being, you know, or identifying as black nerd and, you know, what some of those things were that that you know, gave me pause and kind of identifying myself that way, but to also look at the history of the characters that, that 
made me feel like I was visible within the pages of comic books or, you know, on the cartoon screen or, or in movie theaters. And so I found myself writing about characters like, you know, Static Shock and Jordy LaForge from Star Trek The Next Generation and, and Blade and, and a few others. And, you know, it was... It was a lot. It was a, it was a, a reflection that that took a lot. And, you know, for me, I felt like watching the trailer for the Black Panther. And I think I put this in writing and I know I have echoed this thought several times, you know, since seeing that trailer and since seeing the movie. And, you know, almost every time that I think about the Black Panther and what it represents, it's, you know, this was the hero that. I wish I could have seen on the big screen as a child. Like I know at the time that I was growing up, they would have never been able to do this amazing of a job with it. There's no way a film like this could have been made in so many different ways. You know, they wouldn't have grabbed the right director with the, with the right kind of tonal idea for what this is. They wouldn't have cast the right actors. There was just so much working against making that film um, during those times that I was growing up. So to see this thing kind of be made, it was really exciting. And, you know, I remember the first, you know, the, the, in premiere screening, um, I, I rather than going to a regular theater, I participated in an event uh, led by the Paul Robeson Cultural Center at, at Rutgers University, uh, where I work. And, you know, just being able to see the film in a room filled with with black students and staff and, you know, other members of our of our cultural community who were kind of coming together to see this thing that that many of us hadn't really seen on the scale, because I think that's something that's really important to remember about the Black Panther and something that gets dismissed quite a bit when people are kind of talking about this movie is they don't quite realize Yes, sure, you know, Blank Man might have existed. I know a lot of people want to talk about Blank Man right now or or Meteor Man was a film or, you know, like I said, we had Blade. We had, you know, characters like Jordi LaForge or Static Shock, but nothing had the the strength behind it that the Black Panther did. The Marvel Cinematic Universe is the biggest thing in movies and cinema right now. And so to be able to see this character, this studio, this franchise, you know, kind of put all of its effort behind it to do the marketing push that they did and to produce a film of the quality that they did. It was something that was like a breath of fresh air. It was something that, you know, it was it was water. You know, we were dehydrated. We didn't know it. And we needed this drink of water. And yes, I, I know there's there's some people that are probably listening to that. And you're like, oh, this is this is so gushy. And, and you know, but realistically, I, I think that's something that a lot of people who don't understand the hype around Black Panther, those people that will say, oh, you know, it was an all right movie, you know, or it didn't really speak to me or, you know, yeah, it was a good superhero movie, but Infinity War is better. There, there's so much about it that you just don't get. And, you know, realistically in this episode, I know I've already been talking for for close to eight minutes, but I really kind of want to get into some of that, uh, into what a lot of that was. But before I do that, I, I really just want to talk about, you know, kind of the movie in general. And, you know, again, like, no, no film is perfect. You know, there are always issues, you know, with Black Panther, especially, you know, my, some of my biggest problems are, you know, the third act action set pieces and everything like that. They feel a little rubbery. Some of the action and some of the effects feel a little bit undercooked. But, you know, for, for me, even though those are things that that could be distractions, I felt so much of the rest of it was just so strong. I really enjoyed the story and the pacing of it as I'm recording this, you know, as I sat down to set up recording and, and you know, grab audio files that I would need and, and start prepping, creating this. I turned on the movie and before I knew it, I had already watched a half hour of the film. And, you know, if if I wasn't forcing myself to sit down and record this, I probably would have watched the entire thing uh, before even pressing record. Um, I just feel like it has such a good flow to it. Um, and, and, I'll, and I'll come back to one of the reasons why I think that is besides the direction, besides the writing. Um, 
But one of the things for me that that really stands out is the marvelous cast of this film. Um, even though we were kind of introduced to him already, and you know, again when I talk about the Black Panther not being a perfect film, one of the shortcomings that I actually feel that this film has is, and, and, and I don't want people to take this the wrong way. I think T'Challa is a great character and I think he is fantastic in this film. Chadwick Boseman, does a great job and you know I, I joke around a lot about the fact that Chadwick Boseman is, is basically cast to play every single you know famous black person that has ever existed um, and it's it's not without reason he is a great actor and he brings a lot to it and I think the thing that was really interesting going into this film coming from Captain America Civil War is the way that T'Challa became subdued so in Captain America Civil War, his character arc was all about seeking revenge and, you know, finding his father's killer and bringing him to justice. And, you know, in the end, you know, spoiler alert for a movie that you should have seen by now. I'm pretty sure you've all seen Black Panther. So I'm I'm, I'm just going to say this right now. This is probably going to be a full spoiler episode. If you haven't seen it, it's on Netflix. There's really no excuse. It's at your fingertips. It's really easy to see. But at the end of that film, you know, he realizes that maybe that search for revenge isn't quite right. Maybe that's not what he needs to do. And so we we come into the Black Panther with a character who is really kind of seeking himself. And, and I think that's a really important piece of this film. So as a black man, you know, that search for self, that search for understanding, that search to be your own man, to escape your your father's your your father's kind of shadow or the expectations of your people or the expectations of society or whatever expectations are kind of heaped upon you. That's his journey in this film. He's really trying to find himself and find who he is. You know, there's there's this amazing quote in the scene where he is fighting uh, M'Baku at the very beginning, well, towards the beginning of the film, where where Queen Mother Ramonda, played by the amazing and just phenomenal Angela Bassett, you know, shouts to him, show him who you are. And that is his quest. He's looking for who he is. He's looking for, you know, kind of that bit of himself. And I thought that was a really interesting decision. So he is kind of scaled back in the favor of this really amazing cast that's around him. And, you know, there's a there's a character that I'm going to come back to. I'm going to save him for last because he was, there were a lot of people um, that kind of clung to him. But, you know, really bringing in terms of our our protagonist bringing T'Challa back a little bit so that a few of the female characters in his world could kind of step up to the plate and that's where we see uh you know people like Lupita Nyong'o's um Nakia really standing up and to kind of being that voice and and kind of showing you know hey there might be a different way for us to approach things you know this film deals a lot with the idea of international relations and the work that when you have power you do on behalf of those who don't and so very early on in the film she's kind of introduced as that character that challenges T'Challa to think about those things, to think about Wakanda's role within the rest of the world and what does it mean to have wealth and power and technology and are you failing the rest of the world if you don't use those to kind of make positive change in the world? Um, a An idea that again, you know, a, a certain character that, that you know I'm going to build up to later, uh, kind of twists on its head and, and takes from kind of an opposite uh, but similar perspective. You have characters like uh, Danai Guerrero's uh, Okoye, uh, who is kind of the, she's the she's the leader of the Dora Milaje, who are these warrior women who protect the Black Panther, uh, but also comprise like the key military force of Wakanda. And to see strong black women in these types of leadership roles where they're in charge of the military, they are the best fighters, they are the people that serve country above all else and, you know, seek to protect their their people it's something that 
you know, I, I think about my own family and I think about kind of, you know, that idea of of matriarchs and, and the power of women and how that throughout this film is just something that it, we're, we are constantly reminded of, whether it is, you know, that aspect of strength or, or wisdom or beauty or grace or sheer intelligence, you know, something that is embodied by uh, Letitia Wright's character, Shuri, who, you know, just just thinking about that, thinking about representation, thinking about the characters that we're constantly missing in entertainment uh, for for black people to see young black women, little black girls who can look at this character and say, she is she is so smart. She's funny. I want to be like her. She's creating the technology for this entire, you know, nation. Sure, it's a it's a fictional nation. Sure, it's not real, but seeing that kind of character, just think about like what does that mean if you see that at a very young age and you get inspired to get into STEM or or whatever? You know, that's something that had been missing for so long and you know, to see that character brought to life on film by such a charismatic actress, you know, it, it just it kind of meant a lot. And for me personally, you know, because, again, a lot of this podcast, a lot of what I talk about here reflects on, you know, kind of my personal experience, my personal feelings. It's I look at that character and I see my sister, you know, I, I, I always joke around that, you know, my sister is the smarter of the two of us, like and. You know, she she is a, a an incredibly intelligent person. You know, she's an engineer. She's doing these amazing things with science that I could only dream of doing. And and sure, if I had, you know, asserted myself in, in kind of pursuing those studies, maybe I could have done it. But, you know, she just has such a knack for it. And so for me, seeing this movie, sitting in the theater, like I'm looking at this character, I'm looking at her relationship with T'Challa and I'm just like, that's my sister. That's me and my sister. That's the relationship that we have. And and beyond that, you know, just thinking about, you know, this is the example that I hope my sister is is creating for other young black girls who who can start to see themselves in these roles where, hey, you know, you can be a scientist, you can be cool, you can be beautiful, you can be hip, you can be all of those things. And, you know, we have an avenue for you to see that now. And, and that was kind of one of those things where it's just like, all right, like just those three black women in this film, all of whom are very different and have very different approaches and different ideologies to see them all. And to see how each of them kind of puts something on display that we haven't really seen on screen before was, was something that was just like, it hit me in my core. Um, and I know that it hit a lot of other people in their core, you know, leading up to recording this, I was watching a lot of media and, you know, there's this one video of a little, a little girl who's dressed up like Shuri, who, who basically is, it comes up to Ryan Coogler in during this interview and, you know, just kind of gushes about how much she loves the movie and just kind of that, that, that representation and, and, you know, kind of being inspired by it. And, you know, it was something that uh, it, it moved me to tears. I mean, you know, I, and I, I'm not being, you know, you know, I'm not, I'm not overblowing that. I mean, that's something that a lot of people felt, um, you know, but, but getting back to that cast, I mean, you know, we, we also see a lot of faces that are, that are just really big right now. You know, people like Daniel Kaluuya, who, you know, just the, I guess it was the year before, you know, really dazzled us and get out. And, you know, to see this guy kind of keep popping up, you know, I talked about him when I, when I spoke about the film Widows, you know, this guy has an amazing career in front of him and, and to see his character of Wakabi in this film, who, who much like, uh, you know, T'Challa's character did in Captain America Civil War is really bent on revenge and, and wanting to see uh, Ulysses Claw brought to justice, you know, seeing that kind of bloodlust and, you know, the decisions that he makes solely for revenge, you know, turning on the love of his life, Okoye, um, and fighting essentially his own people all for this lust of revenge. And, you know, his arc of, of finally seeing, you know, towards the climax of the film, seeing what that kind of lust for revenge has brought on and how he 
is instrumental in tearing his people apart. There's something so poetic about that and something that, you know, I feel like all too often, you know, we we don't take that time to kind of reflect on our actions and and why we're taking them and how they're affecting not just ourselves, but those around us. And, and I, I again, I just thought that was I thought that was beautiful. Um, you know, and again, you know, newcomers, newcomers who are going to be mainstays in our lives. Winston Duke's Mbaku is an amazing character. You know, I don't know how many of you have actually read the Black Panther comic books, but Mbaku used to be this really, for lack of a better way of saying it, problematic character. He was Mbaku the man ape. Just think about that real quick. Like a black character, a black villain known as the man ape. There's a lot of problems with that. And, 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 you know, to be quite frank, you know, we have to remember, we have to remind ourselves that the Black Panther and a lot of the characters within his pantheon were created by white people. And so, you know, outside of just the idea that, you know, this is great because we are seeing this representation, we are seeing a black director, black uh, creative crew in a lot of cases coming onto this film predominantly black cast, you know, really make this film. We also have this kind of reclamation of, you know, people who were, people were using black form to, to sell books and to sell ideas. And for us to kind of take that back, make it our own and make those characters interesting and compelling and to infuse them with kind of different elements uh, of the black experience of the, of the kind of global black experience. Um, Cause I think that's, that's the other part that's really important about this film. It's not just taking, all right, what is the African-American perspective? It includes other perspectives from the diaspora and how different people see being black, see being African and see what that means. And, you know, what are the pieces that they take from that and how do they communicate that out to the world? You know, and, and so again, like, I think that was something that was really interesting. So to see this charismatic guy reclaiming this really problematic character and turning him into something that we could really get behind that we could really root for within the context of the greater film, um, you know, despite kind of being introduced to him as an antagonist, Again, that's just like these characters, their depth, their arcs are so interesting. Like Umbaku's arc in this film is great. You know, to see someone who had aspirations to lead and and realizing that, you know, he can still lead. He can still lead his people. He can still be an important force within their world. He just doesn't have to be king. And to be able to kind of take that step back to stand behind someone else or, you know, re more realistically, stand to the side of someone else, you know, because that's a big part of this film. It's that idea that, all right, the leader is not just the person who is in front of everybody else, but the person who stands side to side with everybody else rolls up their sleeves and does the work with everybody else. I, I, I just, it's 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 almost hard to put into words um everything that kind of goes through my mind just thinking about those characters arcs and you know again you know i have to talk about you know before i get to kind of our antagonists of this film because i there's just there's so much to say um you know i think it's really important to also shout out someone like forrest whitaker who who does this really great job with a very kind of limited role um, in being kind of that wise old character and just giving us enough um, of the world and enough kind of dressing to introduce us to the way things work and to kind of help fill in some of those gaps for us as an audience. Um, you know, not too much more to say. I, I thought he did a great job as well. Um, you know, obviously, you know, certain people weren't as necessary within the film. Someone like Martin Freeman um, as Everett Ross, um, I didn't think was necessary within the context of the film. I know what role he serves. Um, I just don't know if he was necessarily needed. Um but kind of getting back to characters that, that were kind of great. I thought Andy Serkis's claw 
uh, was an amazing, uh, you know, villain uh, for the time that he was in the film. I thought, you know, again, when we talk about being charismatic, being funny, um, being menacing and being somewhat terrifying, I, I thought he did a good job of kind of rolling all of those things up together and just like his laugh in the film, you know, his his jokes about making it rain and, you know, about his mixtape and all of that. He just bre- he just breathed a special type of life into a character who, you know, in the in the grand scheme of things, wasn't the biggest part of the film, um, but definitely you know added something really fun and really exciting to it. Um, you know, and, and obviously that that would bring me to Michael B. Jordan's Eric Killmonger, who, you know. I know a lot of people have talked about this. I've definitely talked about this on a past episode of the podcast. He is far and away for me, you know, other than Thanos is the most compelling villain in the Marvel Cinematic Universe, you know, and it it is really sad, you know, much like Claw, it's really sad that we really only have this one film with this character. And, you know, there's a, there's a part of me that hopes that, you know, we see him in the ancestral plane in the, in the sequel or something like that. But to have a character who is dealing with kind of being taken away um, from his culture, from his heritage you know, in a sense, you know, being kind of the stolen person uh, from Africa, you know, really searching and trying to claw his way back to the motherland and, you know, trying to reconnect with his his heritage um, somewhat in the wrong ways, but somewhat in a way that was really relatable. Um, you know, as I said before, I led a conversation about this um, and, you know, for me, part of what that is, is, you know, growing up for myself, I, I was largely in predominantly white institutions for most of my life. And I, I still work in one and, you know, growing up reading black authors and, and, you know, black, you know, right. Black reading black authors and, and black thoughts from black leaders and, and everything like that. You know, it's just, you always have this kind of pining for, you know, your culture and your people. And, you know, there's this, you know, it's, it's a little bit dangerous sometimes because, you know, as, as, as I talked about the film with the group, you know, we, we touched on this idea of kind of this, this Afro fetishization where, you know, black people in America, you know, for the longest time, you know, it's this mixed bag where, you know, Growing up for me, you know, in some of the communities that I was in, you know, being black was looked down upon, but being African was looked even further down upon. And, you know, there was this idea that with this film doesn't make kind of being African cool again. Uh, But at the same time, that's kind of reaching back into older philosophies. When we look at stuff like the creation of holidays like Kwanzaa and that that seeking to reconnect with Africa and cultures and, and things like that, that were lost to many of us after, you know, our, our families were, were brought over during the slave trade. You know, there was so much history and culture lost that there's just this real interest in reconnecting with that. And in a lot of ways, Eric Killmonger embodied that sadness and that desire to reconnect. And, you know, that's something that so many of us kind of long for, Um, you know, but of course, you know, he is the antagonist. You know, I I talked before uh, about uh, or I talked in person about this a lot where like I don't necessarily like calling him the villain because he's an antagonist. you know, but I, I don't necessarily see him, you know, when I think of villains, I think of kind of this overly evil force. And I don't think that's what he is necessarily. He's someone who has experienced a lot of pain and embodies that kind of black American struggle for, um, you know, seeing yourself in the world and longing for, you know, equitable, equal treatment. And, you know, 
the one of the things that the film does is it sets up uh, when you see a flashback in the very beginning of the film. You know, his father is essentially the L.A. riots are on the TV. Um, you know, I, I could be wrong about this. I, I might need to rewind. But, you know, just thinking about that, that early kind of 90s experience of, um, you know, kind of what was going on in this country and this constant struggle, um, you know, for for black equality, um, you know, that character, his character just really kind of brings all of that to, to a head. And, you know, to see the influences of, you know, Huey P. Huey P. Newton and, and Fred Hampton and, you know, Tupac Shakur and all of these other, and Malcolm X and all of these other kind of people's thoughts kind of combined and merged into this character. It's, I think that's the thing that a lot of people don't get you know there's there's so much nuance to this film there's so much going on in terms of you know kind of the thought process behind why these characters do something and i think that's a cultural language uh in a sense or you know that's a societal understanding that's missing from a lot of people that will go into something like the black panther and you know call themselves objectively looking at the film uh, because they don't have that language. They don't have that understanding and they can't kind of make those pieces work together. And so, you know, they just want to compare it to every other comic book movie and on paper, you know, this structure is the same as that structure and it didn't break the mold or it didn't do that. And it's like, you're missing the point. You're missing why this film is revolutionary. You're missing the ideas that it's putting out there. Um, you know, and that's something that I really challenge people to think about, like as they're experiencing media, just not just the black Panther, but other things, what are the ideas that are going into the characters that are going into the storylines that are, that are going into all the aspects of a film. And, you know, how do you make sense of them? How can you kind of be, you know, and, and, and I don't want this to be taken the wrong way when I say this, but it's like, how can you be a more literate film watcher? You know, how can you come to any film that you're watching and kind of bring those extra thoughts to it? And, and granted, you know, some stuff is just fun or just funny or whatever. And maybe there isn't a deeper meaning to something, um, but often you know, if there's something that has this this groundswell behind it and people are galvanizing around it in this way, maybe there's something more. And what can you do to kind of get yourself to a place where you understand that a little bit better? That's it's just I know that's a little bit of a tangent. That's a little bit getting away from the film. But I but I also think that is a piece of the cultural impact of this. You know, it makes you want to re-examine what we are doing, especially with our action movies, especially with comic book movies, how can we make these films more, again, for lack of a better way of saying it, smart? How can we put more into them? And, you know, and I, and I think that's what people saw when, you know, Nolan did the Dark Knight trilogy. You know, it wasn't just, hey, Batman fights villains. It's, hey, here are these philosophies. You know, here are these ideas and these philosophers and, you know, these theories that are kind of being put into this film, that are being injected into this film. You know, yes, the Joker is a great performance by Heath Ledger, but it's the way that he interacts with the world. It's the way that he tests the world. It's the way that he pushes the world. That's really interesting. You know, it's what is he doing and why is he doing it that that really gets us to kind of sit there and say, hey, yeah, this is a great performance. I want to know more about this character. I want to get inside their head. I want to understand their world. What can I read that will give me a better sense of what this is, what this is from or where this is coming from? Um, and I think Eric Killmonger is definitely a character that kind of embodies all of that. Um, you know, and so, like I said, I, I talked about the pacing. I talked about the cast already, um, you know, and, and I talked a little bit about the fact that I, I wanted a little bit more from the action but you know i do think the kind of most important parts of this film in a lot of ways were were the dialogue and the way that characters interacted with each other you know i mentioned the idea of how nakia uh pushed t'challa 
you know, in the same way that Killmonger pushed T'Challa. And so, you know, Killmonger is coming in from it from the perspective of, you know, we have to shed blood, you know, black people need to take over. We have this opportunity. We have this technology. You know, we're already in all these. We already have operatives in all these countries. We just need to get this stuff into people's hands and they are ready to, you know, revolt and take over. And, you know, kind of that duality of ideas, you know, that, that, you know, this is, this is a really big oversimplification, but like kind of that idea of, you know, that nonviolent movement versus the violent movement and what is the right way to kind of, you know, achieve the goals that you want to achieve for your people and kind of seeing those two different sides of it, but also thinking about, you know, the importance of, you know, really focusing on your insular community and those that are only around you versus thinking more globally about all of the people that are out there. You know, do I think just about the people within my own country or, you know, that share my ethnic identity? Um, or do I think more globally about that and kind of, you know, what does the world look like for black people everywhere? Yeah, and, and I think those are, again, like getting back to that idea of making a smarter film. Those are the things that this movie is doing. Um, and, you know, I, I just I wonder sometimes if if that was too hard for certain people that kind of speak out against this film to understand or if they understood it completely and, you know, just, you know, it's going to throw out systematic racism here. But if if part of the systems that have always been in place and, and maybe it's a subconscious thing, they refuse to really kind of entertain that thought, to entertain the idea that different people can be struggling with these ideas and, you know, find a way to talk about them through other media and you know they don't see them as important and so they don't factor those into being important intentional aspects of the film that actually make it the that make it as great as it is that make it you know like a lot of those things that i mentioned are are parts of the reason that this film again at the time of this recording is nominated for the best picture at the Academy Awards. Whether or not you feel like it deserves it, there's so many components to this film that make it, you know, viable for that. You know, and, and I know people don't want to hear that. I know people are going to disagree, you know, but those are the reasons. You know, that's what people are kind of looking at when they when they put it up into that kind of pedigree. Um you know, but but uh, uh, getting getting away, you know, briefly from from kind of those more societal cultural aspects of, of why this film is great and important. Uh, one thing that I do really want to talk about, and you know, one of the things that I thought was really amazing with this film and and helped with the pacing, like I had mentioned earlier, and you know, just to think that you know, it was already a half hour ago when I probably said this um, that I was going to come back to this. It's it's the music. Um, Ludwig Goronson, uh, a, a constant collaborator with people like Childish Gambino and Haim. Um, he's been working with Ryan Coogler since Fruitvale Station. He did the score for Fruitvale Station. He did the score for Creed. He came to this film and, you know, worked with African musicians to really create the score that told the story of the film. Like, I don't know if you have listened to the score, not the soundtrack. You know, these are two different things. I'm going to talk about the soundtrack in a second. The score of this film tells the entire story. There's there's so much that you can get from just listening to the score and thinking about the characters and who is represented here and, you know, how different instruments kind of carry with them different sounds. So, you know, the idea that Killmonger's theme it's going to have, you know, it's going to have some of those African roots, but it's going to have that kind of trap beat underneath it to kind of remind you that like, yes, he is, he is of Africa, but he's removed. He's something else. He's something that's, you know, in a sense, mutated by his American experience and how that's kind of altered his character. And that's done through music. We see that visually. We see that through his character and through his actions and through his words, but we also hear that, you know, that that scene of Killmonger walking into the throne room 
after chala has been defeated and there's this inversion of the camera and you know that music kind of swells up and his beat comes in and it's just like what has happened to the kingdom how has everything changed and you know again it's just amazing amazing storytelling through the score and even the way that some of the songs from the soundtrack are integrated in you know using using tracks during you know the chase scene um you know or, or technically a remix of, of one of the tracks like you know what, what's funny is like the version that plays in the movie isn't on the soundtrack you know i looked for it it's not there um you know to kind of add to this to this chase sequence and it's just seeing people like Kendrick Lamar kind of jump on there and and artists like Vince Staples and SZA and to to really hear them kind of add their kind of sound to the soundtrack and you know to see this all come together in this really beautiful way where both pieces you know the score and the soundtrack are both amazing in their own right and and tell the story of this film and you know kind of convey a lot of these same ideas is just so interesting and so masterful you know and likewise another thing that's masterful about this film is you know the costume design and the hair and the colors and you know just the the idea that so many kind of African visuals find themselves find their way into this the, the natural hairstyles even though some characters might be wearing wigs or or whatnot you know seeing Bantu knots and you know and dreads and you know br- different styles of, of box braids and things like that seeing you know and just seeing it all together in these ways seeing scarification seeing you know, lip stretching and and different body modification and, and all of this stuff, all of these things that, you know, all too often are kind of just kind of like in in a way, I, I, I don't, I don't know how to describe all these things are often missed or often not thought about to see all of these things kind of realized in this way. Um, you know, was was really beautiful. Again, like thinking of that perspective of kind of, you know, as a black American trying to reach back out and and see, you know, this African culture, this was a an easy way to kind of start to reach out to it and and to then be able to take some of those ideas through a lot of the media coverage that was done for this film and connect them to the actual countries where we can can kind of start to see this stuff you know what is the influence of 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 ghana on this film like what is what are the what are the difference different influences what are the countries that this stuff is coming from even in some of the way that the dialogue was done you know in specific verbal ticks that people had or clicks that people used or or other sounds that people were making with their voices you know to sit in a theater with you know a group of you know various types of black people like you know from all over the diaspora and to hear different people you know from you know first generation second generation africans hearing their home country's you know dialect within this film and to hear them kind of laugh about some of those things that you know i wouldn't necessarily know about but to hear them respond to that it's something there's something beautiful about that that again people do not understand they don't see and you know we need films like this to be able to kind of present that and to to see that and and i and i think that's something that i that i I really kind of want to touch on just really quickly is just thinking about the kind of pan-african nature of the acceptance of this film like i know that's not really using pan-african right but like just thinking about like the videos that you could see from all over the world of you know people making the black panther like film screening a party you know people in south africa dancing in the movie theater lobby you know before the film after the film you know people getting excited dressing up you know you know obviously there there might be some problems with with people coming in in dashikis and stuff like that that's a bit 
problematic and gets back to that kind of afro fetishization that thing that i was talking about a little bit earlier but still to see that excitement kind of you know across the globe and you know across the ocean you know and and to see all of these people who felt celebrated by this film in a way that they had not necessarily seen themselves celebrated on that scale before you can't you can't sell you 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 can't short sell that you can't you know you can't really dismiss that like that's a very real there's so much emotion to that there's so much that's important and valuable and beautiful about that that you know again i I, i'll keep coming back to it like i want people to think about that like if you are if you are one of those people that you don't understand why people love the black panther so much like you really have to think about it in that context you know when you are not you know kind of normal when you are not kind of like the neutral most things are made for you to see yourself to see your people to see your culture to hear your culture that is an amazing thing that can change your world um and that's and that's something that that just 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 take that in just just take that in and think about it for a second you know and and that's like that's one of those questions that you know i i would really love to pose to to any person of color who might be listening to this or any person of color who's really kind of contending with these thoughts it's when was the first time that you saw yourself in some sort of major entertainment moment you know and not everybody has that yet and you know and i and i think that again that's that's why the black panther was huge that's why crazy rich asians was huge even though there's still some people that haven't necessarily had that moment yet you know that's why even something like roma is huge for for indigenous people who never see themselves in these types of films who never see themselves you know on the big screen or even on on the smaller screen in a lot of cases this is their opportunity to see themselves and to be celebrated and to celebrate themselves. You know, I, I think back part of the reason why, you know, obviously I wanted to talk about the black Panther this month because it's black history month and it's been a year since this film came out and you know, it's nominated for the Academy award for best picture and all of those things are amazing. But I'm also sitting here thinking about like, we have had a crappy, crappy, crappy black history month this year. And it's been nothing but, you know, blackface scandals and Esquire putting, you know, white boy who's struggling on their cover or whatever. And it's just like, wanting to go back and feel celebrated in this really real way you know this is i always talk about this podcast as being therapy it's my opportunity to talk and get my thoughts out there and really talk about the things that are on my mind and and this is one of them you know it shouldn't take us it it shouldn't be so few and far between and yes yes we have been seeing more big budget black films you know and i'm happy for that and and it's something great to see there were there's so many films that came out this year that i was really excited about because of the centering of black people or the black experience or black culture you know i i've talked about black klansmen i've talked about blind spotting as one of my favorite movies of the year i've talked i've talked about sorry to bother you i've talked about into the spider verse and and miles morales and what he means and and to see you know even just thinking about that a year book ended by t'challa the black panther with okoye next to him and shuri and nakia and killmonger and all of them book ended with uncle aaron and miles you know and his dad and and just to see kind of these interesting different takes of of black people and of black experiences uh that we can all celebrate that we can all be entertained by and celebrate and you know really start to see the power and there's there's, this is the stuff that i wish i had more of growing up you know and i wish it wasn't so few and far between you know there's this great 
complexity and multitude to blackness that like I just feel like has been shining through in so many ways and you know I needed in a way to remind myself of that you know because there were times when I struggled with it where I was like well you know I I don't know if 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 the Black Panther is is that great of a film but as soon as I started kind of writing my outline for this episode and and thinking about what I wanted to talk about I it was just it was so obvious it was like I I a couple of weeks ago I watched the film and I was like no that was amazing you know, this film is still amazing. This is a great film. This has this speaks to me in so many different ways. There's so many beautiful aspects of it. Like I, I I'm sitting here, I'm going, I'm looking at the thing tick up, you know, I'm already, you know, at like 50 minutes or something like that. The version that you hear might be a little cut down, maybe just a little bit, you know, but I didn't even talk about the idea of fighting colorism, you know, and the fact that because so many different shades of black people were shown, you know, you had dark skinned black people, light skinned black people, people who were in the middle, Bocchino people, like all sorts of different shades and colors and variations of black people that were seen on the screen. And they were all beautiful. They were all lit beautifully. They all were kind of given the same care. No one was shown to be lesser because of how dark or how light their skin was. Um, and, and that's something that just doesn't happen. You know, even within the black community, it's something that we're, we're constantly struggling with. You know, I mentioned it before, like even the idea of, you know, how growing up being African was bad. Being African was looked down upon, but we can look at something like the black Panther and it's like, no, being African is something to be proud of. Being African is something that's beautiful. And it's all about having people that understand that and know how to put that on display, who know how to show that to us, know how to make us look at ourselves in the mirror and see our own beauty, to see our own majesty, to see our own greatness. And don't get any better than that. So yeah, I'm I'm just going to leave it there in terms of the Black Panther portion of this podcast. You know, I I actually had a couple of other notes that I was going to talk about, but you know, I I don't know how much more I really need to say. Like I I'm not trying to convince anybody that this is a great film. That's not what this is about ever. You know, it's about having a conversation. Uh, and even though I am basically just talking at you and you're taking it in, I hope that you're thinking about what I'm saying. And I hope that you understand where I'm coming from, because this is this is it. This is what this is the stuff that was going through my mind when I first watched the film. This is what was going through my mind, like the second three or four times I saw it in theaters. This is what went through my mind. The, you know, four or five times I've watched it streaming or on you know, Blu-ray, you know, this is what was going through my mind when I just watched that half hour before starting to record, you know, there's just so much to it. And, you know, I, I was going to talk a little bit about the context of, of Black Panther within, you know, the greater, the greater MCU, but I almost don't see a point in that because, you know, look, the MCU is in a lot of ways its own thing, you know, and it's always going to be building to something greater. And, you know, I think as much as I love Marvel movies, that's one of the issues that I have. And part of the reason why I like the Black Panther so much, even though it has, you know, post credit scene that ties directly into some of what's going on in Infinity War and the greater MCU, you know, it is a story that is largely self-contained you know there's not a whole lot that is tied to the greater mcu throughout the bulk of the main film other than just kind of understanding what happened and, and again like this is this film is designed in a way where you don't even need to know what happened in captain america's civil war because it gives it to you right at the beginning oh his father was killed in a terrorist attack i I don't need to see Captain America Civil War if I didn't see it. I can just come in and see this film. So, yeah, you know, I I really hope that in the long run, they learn the right lessons from the Black Panther, you know, and they and what those lessons I think are, are 
celebrating people, celebrating different cultures, allowing people to see themselves uh, in film in a big way, allowing people to see the variations within their own people, allowing people to feel that sense of pride, to feel that strength, to, you know, imagine themselves as something greater, to give kids something to aspire to, to give adults something to aspire to. You know, there there's so many of us that, you know, again, we may not have had, you know, this movie growing up, but we have it now. How can it change the way that we kind of approach the things that we're doing or the ways that we think about ourselves or the ways that we help other people think about themselves? How can we use this film as a learning tool? And how can we create other films for other people to see themselves in that same way? You know, when are, when are we going to get the Latinx version of the Black Panther? You know, what does that look like? How do you make that happen? And I know there's so many different cultures there, but the Black Panther is the same way. You know, there isn't just a monolithic Black culture that this film is is putting on display, is showing us, is celebrating. It is taking all of these different bits from the diaspora and celebrating them and showcasing them. How can we do that for other people? How can we give other folks that opportunity to see themselves as heroes, as scientists, as whatever that needs to be for them? So while you're still hanging around, while I still have you, because if you listen this long, you're probably still listening. I got a couple of spoiler free reviews for you. I saw a couple of films recently. One was Alita Battle Angel, which I will say... I saw in 3D at a, you know, advanced fan event. And even though my theater decided that it wanted to fail during the movie, I had a lot of fun with it. I thought that it was a really imaginatively made film. I think that a lot of it is very beautiful. The way that the, you know, effects were done and the creation of a, a fully 3D character who was believable within the world and and the designs and, and the visualization of everything. I thought all of that was really well done. I thought there was a good energy and pacing to the film. You know, the story was a bit of a mishmash. They took two different story arcs from the manga and just kind of crammed them together. But at the same time, I think it, it's it's a pretty exciting film and I think it's going to be a lot of fun for a lot of people. Uh, most notably, I would really like to just kind of mention that Christoph Waltz and Rosa Salazar, uh, who play um, Ido and uh, Alita, respectively, uh, their chemistry is really amazing. And I, I really enjoyed kind of every scene that they were in together. I thought they played off of each other marvelous, marvelously. And their moments were some of my favorite in the film. Um I definitely think this is worth watching. I know it's kind of been projected as being one of the biggest flops of the year right at the start of the year. I hope it doesn't. Um, it gives us a lot to hope for in in kind of effects and, and rendering and things like that. And, you know, I want to see more projects like it made, um, hopefully at a lower cost. I mean, obviously, that's this movie costs an absurd amount, which is why it's it's potentially going to be the biggest flop. But you know, I think it's worth seeing. I think it's a lot of fun and, you know, not everybody is going to get the same mileage out of it, but if you like, you know, action packed sci-fi action movies that are really imaginative, I think you'll get a lot of enjoyment out of this. The other film that I, that I watched, uh, recently, and this is a much bigger departure, <laughs> uh, was Minding the Gap, uh, which is a documentary, uh, following, you know, the, the easiest way to, to, to kind of look at it is it, it's following really kind of three people and their kind of intersection with each other and, you know, how their lives have changed. Um, you know, the, the very basic version would be to say like, oh, it's a, it's a documentary about skaters, but it's really so much more than that. It's, it's about, men trying to live up to these examples both imagined and real and to find themselves and be vulnerable and you know kind of confront issues of abuse and and not feeling loved and you know how do you either escape that cycle or how do you perpetuate it and 
you know, it can be an incredibly hard film to watch. Um, but at the same time, I think it's incredibly beautiful. Um, it's amazingly shot and, you know, it's on Hulu streaming. If you have an opportunity, if you are into documentaries and you want to see something that is really well done and has something, you know, I, I don't, I don't want to quite say that it's, it's profound because like, you know, I, 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 I don't want to be, I don't want to be like blowing it. You know, I don't want to blow that much smoke. It is nominated for an Academy Award for the best documentary. Um, you know, but I, I think it has a lot of really interesting things to say. And I think a lot of people could take something from this film uh, and, and it can bring a lot of meaning. Um, one of the other things that I, I wanted to touch on this week, and, and I will probably go into it a bit more in a future episode. I'm thinking about, you know, probably my next episode, I, episode, episode, I might do a little bit of my love hate relationship with Netflix. Um, but as many of you know, who are into a lot of the same stuff that I am, um, Netflix has officially canceled all of the Marvel Netflix shows. So uh, this includes Daredevil, Luke Cage, Iron Fist, um, Jessica Jones, and The Punisher, uh, as well as The Defenders. But I guess that was only like a short run limited series anyway. Um you know, and there are a lot of people that have a lot of different thoughts about it. Um, obviously, I think a big piece of this is Disney is starting their own streaming service. And so they're really going to be focusing on making their own uh, their content for that um, and kind of owning, you know, their big projects and putting them there. Uh, they're also going to be doing a lot of animated projects for Hulu, which they own like a pretty large stake in. Um, so you know, those are, there are those aspects. And then the, the other piece of it is Netflix is trying to own a lot more of its IP. Um, so they're, they're trying to rely a lot less on, um, you know, having these partnerships with other companies that have their own distribution. So I, I think that's largely it, you know, even though, you know, obviously I liked those shows a lot, even, you know, even when they kind of had their ups and downs, you know, Daredevil was one of my favorite series uh, from that. I really enjoyed a lot of Luke Cage. I thought Jessica Jones season one uh, was was really, you know, marvelous. You know, you pretty much all know how I feel about Iron Fist and that trash fire. And the Punisher was all right. You know, um, Punisher has never been my favorite character, but I still kind of enjoy watching him, though. The second season was a bit of a letdown, as I think I've mentioned before on the podcast. So, you know, I, again, not not earth shattering. No one is really surprised by this, but you know, I think it, it just again speaks to the changing of the streaming landscape and the fact that we're going to get yet another streaming service, uh, that is going to be competing not only for your money, but for your attention. And so I think a large part of this decision relates to that. Um, and you know, the last thing that I want to talk about today is just something that I've been loving. And so, uh, recently during, uh, one of Nintendo's directs, uh, which is their, uh, way that they kind of announce new products, they put out a new game called Tetris 99, which is an online Tetris battle Royale. And basically what that means is you are playing Tetris against 99 other people around the world. I am not good at Tetris, but I love watching Tetris, um, if you're into Twitch streams or YouTube live or anything like that, definitely check out um, some matches of Tetris 99. The way that high level players play the game of Tetris is something that is dumbfounding and kind of beautiful and magnetic to watch. So definitely check that out if you have the opportunity. And, you know, we have broken an hour we were probably past an hour a little bit ago. Um, but thank you. If you've listened to this entire episode, I thank you. Thank you for letting me get my thoughts out on the black Panther. Thank you for listening to my thoughts. Obviously I want to hear what your thoughts are. So, you know, if you know me and you see me in person, definitely talk to me about this episode. I would love to hear what you have to say about it. Um, if you follow me on social media at Larry Tron, pretty much anywhere where you can put a handle in there, um, send me your thoughts on the episode. Was there anything that I, that I said that, that really resonated with you? Was there anything that you could not 
disagree with more? Was there anything that you really wanted to hear me talk about and you told me you wanted to hear me talk about it and I still missed it? We can just chat it up. We just chat it up. We just send each other some messages. We can just share some comments. Um, but as always, share your feedback with me. Tell me what you're liking about the podcast, what you're not liking, what you would like to hear more about. Um, if there are ideas that you want to hear me explore for future episodes. Um, and as always, if you have questions, feel free to email those in or shoot them over to me in social media. Uh, my email address is Larry at LM2photo.com. Feel free to shoot your questions over there. Or if you just want to give me some general feedback, remember you can listen to this podcast wherever fine podcasts are available. I am on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Stitchers, SoundCloud, you name it, I'm there. Um, and leave me a review. The, the best thing that you can do is leave a review because it helps other people that might be interested in hearing my rambly long thoughts, the opportunity to hear them. So as always, this has been LM2 Talks. This is Larry. I'll talk to you again soon, fam. Peace.